Hello and welcome to the Green Canary. Today on the show, we're going to be talking about CO2 at record levels, which is not good news. We will deal in a little teal zeal. We're going to bravely journey to the newest frontier of the climate environment debate. This is not a pretty place and we have to go there though. We're going to waddle with some penguins. We're going to have a wine about wine. And we're going to tell you about some secret barrier reef picks that we really ought to be seeing, but which we haven't. Plus, heaps more on the show today. I'm Ant Sharwood, and it's normally at this time of the episode that I would throw over to someone much more charismatic, some would say articulate than myself, that would be Elfie Scott. Elfie's not here this week, I'm afraid. She's finishing off a special project. So there will be no back and forth between us. It'll all just be back or maybe just all forth. <laughs> there, there'll be no yin-yang sort of vibe. Uh, it's just going to be a whole lot of yin or maybe a whole lot of yang. Anyway, it's just me, it's you, and it's a bunch of CO2. Yes, it is, unfortunately. So as we get into the, sto- into the stories this week, look, this is a really simple one. Absolutely simple piece of environment news, which maybe with the election and everything else going on you've missed. But CO2 is at record levels. Now, there's this observatory up on Mauna Loa, which is the big volcano. One of the big volcanoes, but it's the biggest one up on Hawaii. It's 4,100 metres above sea level. That's twice as high as Mount Kosciuszko. That's it's almost half as high as Mount Everest. I, I'm fascinated by Mauna Loa. It actually gets snow uh, in the, the Hawaiian winter uh, occasionally. Anyway, up on Mauna Loa, because it is a site that is not affected by locally emitted uh, CO2, whether by plants or soils, or of course human activities. Uh, it's a pretty pristine environment, it's basically a rocky moonscape, but it's a pristine environment CO2 wise. And that is why since 1957, America's NOAA, NOAA, which is like our Bureau of Meteorology, yeah, really good, Bureau of Meteorology. Um, NOAA is the American equivalent, and that's why since 1957 they have recorded CO2 levels up there. Now, back in the 50s, it was down in the low 300s. We just hit 420 for the first time. That is 420.02 parts per million of CO2. That doesn't sound like much. 400 parts per million versus 300 parts per million. Well, here's the thing. If it was zero parts per million, if there were no CO2 and other greenhouse house gases in our atmosphere, the earth would be a, a frozen snowball. It would be minus 18 all the time. So this is a milestone we didn't want to reach. It's a milestone that is worth knowing about, however, and it's good knowledge that that knowledge about, uh, you know, if there were no CO2, earth would be minus 18 on average. I mean, nothing would grow. We could not eat. We could not exist. Tell your climate denying friends that if you still have any because uh, it's really clear evidence that the more we add even tiny, tiny bits of CO2 and other greenhouse gases, the warmer it gets, the more heat they trap. Anyway, talking about heat, let's talk about heat. Been a lot of heat, a lot of heat this week on the so-called teal independence. Um, This is a story that you almost forget is a story. Uh, It's... It's almost background noise in the election, but you can sort of lose fact, uh, lose sight rather of the fact that it's a story in its own right. There is a remarkable attack going on on this group of independent candidates. Now, the government 
is spending a lot of time bashing the teals. We've seen Josh Frydenberg. We've seen all sorts of people doing it. We've seen the News Corp newspapers repeatedly doing it. They were up, uh, they were up to their tricks again this morning in Sydney when they had a crack at uh, the teals, who they called green extremists, um, which is what you call somebody when you're trying to sort of make them frightening to someone who might otherwise vote Liberal but is thinking of voting for Allegra Spender or someone like Zoe Daniel or Dr Monique Ryan down in Melbourne. Um, these attacks um, are not just verbal. Um, you know, we're actually seeing legal action. I mean, Tim Wilson in the seat of Goldstein, who's opposed to Zoe Daniel, uh, went, went to council and said, get rid of the placards that people are putting up. He actually got in the courts, the council to take them down. That decision was overturned, as it should have been, because, you know, hashtag democracy. Um, you're allowed to hang a, a placard. Uh, you're only allowed to hang them for three months, but you're allowed to hang a placard on your house. Um, meanwhile, still on, on placards, um, which is such a good word to say, along with core flutes. Core flutes, placards. Wish Elfie was here. She'd be just core fluting and placarding me. Anyway... The Australian Electoral Commission is investigating after hundreds of fake campaign signs were put up in blue ribbon Liberal electorates across New South Wales. Uh, they actually had signs with teal independence and, and, and the fake signs had little greens, triangles, inferring that these candidates were greens. Uh, there is a lot of uh, dirty tricks. And, you know, Matt Canavan has... Uh, leave it to him to get dirtiest of all. Uh, he, he said this week... There is too much focus on the first world problems of changing your gender or changing the climate, which was just a disgusting thing to say. Um, but it was all in the context of having a bash at, at teal independents who are climate focused in their policy agenda as well. So let's go back to what I said a moment ago. Uh, it's almost happening in plain sight. It, it's almost you can forget it's happening. This is a concerted attack by political and media forces on a group of independents, uh, the likes of which I can't remember seeing, but I thought I'd ask Peter Lewis, who is a pollster, a pundit. He is a well-known figure. He creates the Essential Report. Uh, you see him on the drum on the ABC all the time. You read his polls in the paper. Uh, he's been around Australian politics in one form or another for ooh, a good part of three decades. So I thought I'd ask Peter Lewis, what is going on? Well, the Teals are running an insurgency against the um, branches of the Liberal Party that are probably most um, favourable towards action on climate change but haven't been able to deliver for the past decade. So it's a loose network of um, community independence funded largely by a group called Climate 200, um, which is led by um, philanthropist Simon Holmes Accord, and it's attracted both um, very impressive local candidates and also a large um, volunteer base, which is sending shivers up the spine of sitting MPs from Josh Frydenberg to Tim Wilson in Victoria, Dave Sharma and Jason Falinski in New South Wales, all the way over to Perth, where um, one of the, um, the, the, the liberal family names, um, Cheney, is on the ticket for the independence um, in one of the seats over there. So the response from the Liberals has been that these are fakes, they're, they're greens, they're labour plants. Um, every attempt to slur not the policies but the motivations of the candidates um, and 
all polling suggests this isn't working, that all they're doing is um, amplifying the name recognition of these candidates, which is really the condition for getting into a viable position to take the seats, um, and also creating immense bad blood within those um, electorates and those communities. So this whole approach of attack, attack, I think there was an alternate way to approach this which they've chosen not to go down, but um, it, it's created a whole bunch of contests that, you know, have never been contested seats before. Fascinating. Now, have you, in your time as a political pundit, operative, pollster, I hope all of those are more or less accurate, Tick, 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 yeah. <laughs> Have you seen a concerted attack on a bunch of independents uh, or on anyone, really, that apart from the Labor Party, uh, from, from the Liberal National Party? Look, the, the Liberals and the Murdoch press were incredibly vociferous about the two independents that delivered Gillard balance of power um, in 2010 when they were in minority government, Tony Windsor and Rob, Rob Oakeshott. I think Andrew Wilkie was part of that group as well. And they spent three years really trashing them as not being real independents because they were in a, effectively a, a power sharing or arrangement with um the Labor government. You've also seen in the comments recently by Tony Abbott's former chief of staff, Peter Credlin, that these are seats the Liberals should have of right. So it's like they're being robbed of their birthright um, in these seats. Now, the only parallel I could see was the initial response Labor took when the Greens started challenging their progressive um, inner city candidates in, in much the same way, saying, well, these guys aren't going far enough and they're not really representing your interests. And there was a real push at the time to really attack the Greens as socialists and insurgents and people that were sort of um, existing to, to attack Labor rather than um, a group of people organising around an issue. And I think that took about a decade for the heat to come out, for Labor to recognise that there was this other force that sort of existing in, in politics now. But um, that's the only time I've seen it to that extent. Um, I think the amplification of the um, conservative messages in um, the Murdoch media has just sort of, I think, backfired and sort of raised their profile, but also raised the temperature um, without wanting to introduce an unfortunate metaphor into the politics there on climate change. But it, it really, I, I think the teal independents have ultimately been beneficiaries of the vicious blowback. I, I said before there was an alternate way to do this, which is to say, hey, if you want um, conservative governments that are going to be moving on these issues, you need to have moderate members like us in parliament. I think they've been making that case, but it's a very hard one to make, as Labor found um, in its inner cities, when you've got people that are saying, we believe in a matter of principle and you are not going far enough. So it's where really I think the real politic of power and the passion of activism really, you know, headbutt each other um, and it's very hard for those that are sort of the holders of the, the power to, to always, um, re, you know, respond to that. As ever, Peter Lewis, your uh, perspective is absolutely fascinating. Thank you so much for talking to the Green Canary. Pleasure, Anne. I think the point 
the key point made made there by Peter Lewis um, that that the the liberal campaign against the teal independence is almost self-sabotaging it's almost increasing their name recognition it's almost increasing sympathy for them um, I think that's borne out in um, look <sighs> This is not the greatest measure on earth, but neither is it the worst. Uh, so I'm not encouraging anyone to go out there and gamble, but I do look at the um, the odds on the um, sports betting markets as a sport. The election is a sport, uh, according to the uh, certain betting companies in Australia. And actually, we talked about these in the newsletter last week, which you should subscribe to. But we'll talk about that at the end of the podcast. But yeah, th- those those election odds are swinging more and more and more towards the teal independence. Earlier this week, it was absolutely neck and neck. For example, between Zoe Daniel and Tim Wilson, I think literally they have the same odds. Daniel is now a dollar forty and Tim Wilson two eighty. I mean that means she is, you know, heavily heavily favoured over him. Allegra Spender and Dave Sharma, similar situation, neck and neck. Now Allegra Spender is way in front on the odds. Josh Frydenberg was well in front of uh, Monique Ryan, meaning his odds were a lot shorter. Now their odds are exactly the same. So look, that's just three examples. Uh, I think Australians perhaps recognise bullying tactics when they see them, or or maybe it's slightly more complicated than that. Maybe a, a light is being shone on these issues. Um, you know, I was speaking to someone who works out in Reed, which is a seat in sort of central west, inner western Sydney, but not the trendy inner west, the sort of Burwood, Strathfield end, uh, which is liberal held at the moment. But climate is a very real concern to people out there as well. So... I think you, you you sort of trash the climate concerns of uh, urban voters at your peril appears to be the message, appears, because we'll know more on May 21. Now, let's move on. We'll know more tonight when we watch Four Corners. If we watch Four Corners, about an interesting new battle. This is um, a story that Four Corners is going to air tonight. Um, here's, here's how they're promoting it on the ABC website. An island popular with tourists for its cheese and rugged beauty will soon be home to a giant mine. Hmm, an island popular with tourists for its cheese and rugged beauty. That would have to be surely Cheese Island? <laughs> or maybe, oh, it's so good laughing at my own jokes. Elfie, Elfie wouldn't have laughed at that, by the way. She would have just sneered at me and gone, oh, God, Aunt, I'm going home early today, even earlier than she is uh, today, as in not here. But anyway, we're talking about King Island, obviously. An island with cheese and rugged beauty has to be King Island. Love. Oh, my God. I love their smoked cheddar. You thought I was going to say brie, didn't you? But I love their smoked cheddar. Anyway, here's what's happening on King Island. There's going to be a tungsten mine. We need tungsten for all sorts of things related to renewable energy and products that enable it. We need... um, copper and other things for all sorts of things in batteries and there's going to be a mine expanding on Tasmania. Tonight's Four Corners is all about the dirty things we need to do, the dirty mines we need to build or expand to make, in many cases, the clean products that are going to save the world. So it's a fascinating, fascinating um show i think in the offing but even whether it's a great show or not i mean i am not publicity here for the four corners you wouldn't know it um it's a fascinating issue that's what it is because 
more and more and more, we're going to have two sides uh, to the story regarding mining things like tungsten, cobalt, copper, lead, zinc, all sorts of minerals that we need for the green energy revolution. You know, on the one side, you've got people like Saul Griffith, who came out this week, and he said, we need to be making wind turbines 10 times as fast as we do. We need to be making solar cells 10 times as fast as we do. Batteries, electric vehicles, 10 times as fast as we do today. Good point. Let's go mining. Uh, on the other side, you've got obviously people like Bob Brown. He was leading protests against uh, especially this big mine on mainland Tasmania, uh, as opposed to King Island. Um, and, you know, he says that the mining industry is using renewable energy as a cover to go and do its things and say, hey, it's necessary that we do this. So I think this is one of the most interesting debates of our time and I'll be watching tonight. Uh, our podcast is recorded on a Monday afternoon. We upload it on a Monday evening. By the time you're listening, perhaps you've already watched Four Corners. We can have a chat about it on Twitter or elsewhere and I'll probably write about it in the newsletter this week that comes out on Wednesday. So let's move along. Let's move along to mulch. Just some little stories that we saw this week. They're not little stories. But we're just giving them just just a quick run through. Um, I said at the start of the podcast we're going to have a wine about wine. Well, is it a wine? Well, it might be a wine. It, it, it's more of a more of a pine for the days when when wine could just grow uh, all over Australia. But of course, because of climate change, uh, it's getting tough. And what the story I read this week uh, in the Fairfax newspapers or whatever they're called now um, is that they're going to have to change varietals. We're going to have to get rid of some of the Chardonnays. Personally, I thought we got rid of Chardonnays right about the time we got rid of Duran Duran in about 1988. But but maybe some people still drink Chardonnay. We're going to have to get rid of the Sauve Blancs, the Pinot Noirs, which we all do enjoy. Um, we're going to have to take up Fiano, Tempranillo, Albarino. I don't even know what accent that was. A bit of Spanish, a bit of Italian, a bit of God knows what. But... Varietals, wine grapes will change. They're planting more heat-resistant grapes. They're also, as we know, um, moving to Tasmania. Google, large company, <laughs> buys vineyard or land for vineyard in Tasmania and you get about three million stories. Uh, I don't know, you know, Tasmania is going to be one great big vineyard in about five years. Um, you know, personally personally speaking, I interviewed a, a grape grower up in um Griffith in the Murrumbidgee irrigation area on a 47 degree day about three years ago and I said hey how are your grapes growing um they said look they're surviving but what happens is when your grapes have too much sugar they're good on the nose they smell terrific but the the palate is lame they're 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 flat they're no good um so hence new varietals hence moving vineyards Hence, wouldn't it be really nice if we didn't have to go through any of this and just stick with what we're doing? That's why we're fighting climate change. Just one of the many, many, many reasons. Another, emperor penguins are having a really bad time down in Antarctica. Now, this is all according to a new Argentine study. And the Argentines are important because like Australia, they own a chunk. They own that one of those sort of wedges or own. They have territory in Antarctica under the Antarctic Treaty. Um, anyway, an Argentina researcher has shown that uh, emperor penguins, uh, which are endemic to Antarctica, are not having a good time. Uh, too much of the water where they live on the fringe of the continent is not staying frozen for long enough. That means their chicks, which can't swim um, until they reach a certain age, are often drowning. Uh, everything's going bad for the emperors. It's just one of those little stories. Grapes, penguins, there are a trillion of these stories out there. 
I, I guess we should try and um, find a positive story each week, like an animal that 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 someone is is helping uh, recover. And so next week, I promise it won't just be uh, sour grapes, if you like, and uh, sad penguins. I will find something happy. But look, something not so happy to end on this week: the reef. The Great Barrier Reef has had its sixth bleaching this summer. The bleaching years, if you're interested, and if you're not, here it comes: 2002, 16, 17, 20, and 22. That is correct. Six in the last 20 years. There are picks. There are absolutely picks. There are aerial picks. There are surveys have been done. Aerial surveys. Um, and those picks have not been released by the Great Barrier Reef Marine Park Authority. That is, of course, a government entity or an entity that reports to the government. Um, Professor Terry Hughes has blown up about it. Terry Hughes is the reef guy. Uh, he's at Prof Terry Hughes on Twitter. He's a must-follow, in my opinion. Uh, you can find him really easily. He's got a mask and a snorkel sort of uh, avatar. And he he's always the go-to guy on this. He says, why haven't they been released, these pics? We are not supposed to live in a secret society. There is a strong similarity here to not releasing the State of the Environment report, which, if you're a regular Green Canary listener, you will remember we talked about a few weeks ago. It hasn't been released either. feels like the whole world is on hold until this bloody election happens on May 21. So... Um, Bring on, bring it on, bring on the election. Make the two next two weeks just go fast forward, and that would be terrific. Anyway, thank you very much, all. We will talk to you next week. I just want to say that this podcast was recorded on the land of the Gadigal people, who I learned this week are one of about 29 clans of the Eora Nation here in uh, what we call Sydney today. We would like to pay our respects to elders past and present and acknowledge that this land was stolen, never ceded. And just to tell you a tiny bit more about the uh, Green Canary newsletter, just email hello at thegreencanary.co and one of our really lovely people will email you back and go, you beauty, we'll sign you up. Uh, that person might be me. Um, and you'll get the newsletter on Wednesday, which we we absolutely love our newsletter and people are loving getting it. It's all your green news in one. Easy, not boring, just email in your inbox. You know everything that's going on in the environmental sphere. You can be smarter than your green-minded friends and it'll only take you five minutes to read it all. Uh, also, follow us. We are on Twitter. We've got about 50 new followers this week. So hello to everybody who's listening to the podcast for the first time. We are at Green Canary Pod on Twitter. We are at Green Canary on me, uh, at Green Canary Media on Instagram. And that is about it for this week. I promise Elfie or someone uh, like her will be back, will be here next week. <clears throat> My voice is running out without her, so I better go. Thanks so much for listening. Catch you next week. Bye.